Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I am your host, Johnny McKeelan. And I'm very happy to be joined by Wilfred Lawrence. Wilf has written for the Pride of London and and co-hosts South Dakota Loves Benucci, a football podcast that continues to capture the undying love shared for centre-back Leonardo Benucci in the great state of South Dakota. Wolf, it's always a pleasure to get to chat with you. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks very much for having me. I'd say there's tons to get to, which is true. But the truth is we're really only going to be talking kind of about one thing today. And that is the introduction and ultimately the colossal failure that was the European Super League. I don't know if there's a better story to really compare this to than, do you remember Fire Festival? Yes, yeah, yeah. Months of disillusioned planning that leads to thousands of people feeling ripped off and left in a void, seeking shelter in a wet tent. I mean, it was just truly horrific. Uh, Let me just kind of snapshot the story and we'll get started. 12 of the biggest football clubs in the world have been in conversations and negotiations for a very long time now and formed what was to be called the European Super League, a league that has founding members, heavyweight names in football, competing against one another week in, week out, year after year. And as founding members, they would guarantee that every year they would not lose qualification in this league. On Sunday, a great deal of clubs put out statements of their intent and their plan to join this European Super League. So let's start there. What did you think of Sunday night's Twitter blast and the European Super League had been formed and was on the way? A, in the UK, it was at 11pm at night, which felt like, you know, just like an epi- the epitome, the perfect encapsulation of what they were trying to sneak onto into us. Um, and B, I got, my first reaction was kind of like, oh, we've been here before with like Project Big Picture. I, and I was kind of a bit disingenuous. I'm like, oh, OK, like um, I'm not really sure this is actually going to come to fruition. And then it became like very clear that this was like the real deal. It was definitely, you know, that they, they were actually really going for us. And then all the implications came about the kind of potential for FIFA and UEFA's like, you know, literal banishment of all these clubs you know and the fact that the players couldn't play in, potentially in the world cup or or the euros and then it felt like you're just suddenly thrust into this footballing dystopia you know at 11 p.m on sunday night you've had the whole and then suddenly everything comes crashing down and so it was it was absolutely insane and then obviously the ensuing chaos was was kind of hilarious it was absolutely mental uh, it, and and UEFA came out so quickly with the idea of, of banning players from playing in the Champions League, FIFA saying that, you know, any team that that plays in the Super League, those players then, I mean, absolutely freaked out every single footballing fan in the world. And so I think the fan reaction was immediately no, but it was it was more layered than that. I, I, mm. I found it really interesting. Um, 
Liverpool's owner, John Henry, came out and said something like, you know, you, you still want your cold nights in Stoke and we hear you, you know. But the, the, the fans kind of felt like it was a massive disregard for their history, a disregard for how the the whole kind of league works. And I, I feel kind of obligated. I talk about a lot of American sports on this podcast and the, the, the European Super League model was kind of an American model. Um, and so when, when, when major sports teams are bad in the US, the only repercussion really isn't, is just not winning. They'll still get to compete and have the same shot in the next year. And, um, you know, even if the Orioles are the worst team in baseball, they'll still get to play the Yankees every year, you know, 20 times a year. Whereas this is really different in club football where the, the promotion and relegation system works. Can you try and just kind of capture the importance of promotion and relegation and why it's integral to the kind of fabric of football and how the Super League would just destroy that, essentially? I think the the very fact that that is the essential point of sport, that kind of competition is like, you know, the, the fact that I think the Leicester example is the obvious one. It's also probably the best in terms of a team that was in the championship, the second tier, two years before suddenly winning the Premier League. That's the dream of every club. Um, and And I think it's the kind of point, whilst, you know, if you are supporting a League Two side, it's that is an, an almost unreality. It, it, it's the point. It's the whole point of being able to rally around that team and have the whole community backing you is to be able to, you know, one day be able to compete with the teams, you know, your Manchester United's, your, you know, your Super League Six, um, to be able to be up there, you know, and that you have a, as good a chance as any around you. That that seems the entire point. And to just kind of cut that system off completely was just in in complete disregard of the, in many ways, of the reasons football was created in the first place, you know, from those working class communities. Uh, Yeah, it felt, it felt, it felt insane. And it it felt particularly insane to, you know, to claim, to somehow claim that Arsenal and Spurs were better than, you know, your West Ham's and Leicester's, you know, let alone anyone else. Yeah, it was, it just all felt kind of billionaire fever dream. And also the fact I, th- I think to be fair I think there is an interesting clarification. I think in in you know in the reaction to its like you know brief brief stint in the world there was this big kind of rallying around the Premier League as a product, and I think one thing the Super League did kind of get onto in an interesting way was the fact that a lot of the major leagues have become a slight non-event between the top teams in recent times, and I think. It would be we'd be remiss if we weren't to point out that there are still, you know, wealth gaps and issues within that, regardless of the Super League or not. The fact that, you know, you see Bayern and Juventus. Yeah, Juventus are faltering this year, but their kind of domination in the last decade and the domination of, of City, Chelsea uh, in the last 10 years. It, it is that that doesn't, you know, the, the fact that the Super League, Super League isn't happened doesn't mean that we, we have solved all these issues. And and I think that, and I think the problem with the Super League is that it, it at its core it was only about money, uh, and and that was the big rejection about it. I don't think it had any any interest in any kind of entertainment, as they say, or any kind of sporting integrity. It, it was nothing about that. But the idea of some kind of economic um, parity amongst those top teams is an idea I think that might be worth, you know, I, like salary caps and things like that, that you have in those, you know, US leagues that you were t- speaking about. I think that could be a worthy course, but it, 
the balance between getting pushing forward for that as opposed to pushing forward for this billionaires club is is one we're going to have to strike I think that the fans did an incredible thing. I think that the fans of the top six teams, particularly, stood up for the entirety of the league and the integrity of the competition of football. And they said that, you know, we, we don't want to be in some league that we just guarantee our spot. And I think that, you know, some teams like Arsenal and Tottenham, like you said, would, would be like, oh, guaranteed European football every year. You know, we'll take it because th- there isn't a guarantee in football for, for Champions League or even Europa League. There isn't that guarantee. And why these teams are so beloved is because of their ability to win it's it's their ability to compete and and that was being stripped in this league that's that's what the fans stood up for but the fans have also need to look at this other side of the coin of of the expectations and the amount of conversations that go into players sums of money and and I'm look we're not gonna be able to kind of reinvent the football economy sitting here you and me talking but I do when when all of this was playing out even when the Super League decided to dis- you know, d- dissolve and we're, we're staying you know, with, the, with the format that we know it, do you think that football is actually financially sustainable? I mean, d- does the economy of football truly work? We have this idealised idea of it where, oh, you know, there's the top teams in the Premier League, but money still gets funneled down through the system. And d- does the football economy actually, is it sustainable? Is it financially sustainable? I don't think in its current form it is. And I think that almost the dirty secret of the Super League in many ways was the fact that particularly in regard, I don't think that is the case in the Premier League. And I think the Premier League, in comparison to the other leagues, has a slightly better economic system. I don't think by any means it's great, but I think it's slightly more geared towards, you know, there are just more leagues that are of a higher quality in England. Uh, but the dirty secret of the Super League was that clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona are running out of money and, and that the financial models in which they've been based on for the last 15 years are not sustainable. And I think that's very clear. I think that's why you see the last three remaining teams ostensibly in the Super League being the, those teams, because, because that is a, that is crucial for them. And I think you will not see teams paying the kind of, you know, 150 to 200 million, you know, dollar sums for a long, long time. I don't even know if that Neymar transfer record will ever be broken again. And I think that is really interesting. I think and of a player like Erling Haaland. I mean, Haaland was, you know, kind of poised to make up 150 million. He still might make a great deal of money, but that there's there's no that there's that guarantee that you can't necessarily have. So many players have struggled when they first come into the league. What's to say that this, you know, great striker from Dortmund is not going to come and have the same struggles and the same problems, but now for an inflated price, just because well, the price has got to keep going up. Yeah. And, and also I think one thing I remember seeing a kind of financial breakdown of both like project big picture and the super league. And I thought it was really interesting that even the, even if the fact that it was all just based on money, the money was kind of inflated um, and all kind of hypothetical, like the fact that they would get, so much more money for so many less games it seems like and the fact that you know you had you know jeff bezos and amazon being like mm, not sure about that you know i don't know where they got these potential figures from and, and i'm sure part of that is the backlash you know bt sport and those companies broadcasting and in the us 
coming out against it being like, oh, well, we're, we also like sport. But the fact that they kind of just assumed that they'd get five times the, the budget for these TV viewing figures, when, when that did not seem to be case, the case in retrospect, when people kind of point out, especially from the point of view of the broadcasters. I, it does also beg the question, how much of a cut is UEFA and FIFA taking off of the top of these champions? I mean, they, they are in control of the television rights, and that's what it's actually all about. It, you yeah. know, this, is a, this is a money story, and it's a TV rights story. And the clubs would like to be able to broadcast their own teams throughout the entire year. I mean, they, you know, each of these owners, if you told them, you know, we'll set up Chelsea TV, Man U TV, and the only way to watch your team is through that, and they got to pay you for it. They'd be over the moon. Oh, and the yeah. one thing I did like about the Super League is that it did kind of cut UEFA and FIFA out of it because they are not the heroes in this story by far. What, what do you make of UEFA and FIFA's role in this? I mean, obviously, we talked about how they came out and immediately said, you know, players won't be able to play in our competitions. Basically, that's what scared the life out of the majority of football fans i think that the the super league idea has been thrown around and talked about and people have had their perspective or whatever it was the fear of god that uefa put into people when they said basically there's not gonna be a world cup how do you think they play a part in this whole story i think i think the thing is about you kind of separate like you the incompetency at uefa and kind of cronyism at uefa and fifa in the last years is like almost like unimaginable and compared to the super league i think what the the difference is you kind of have to different differentiate between UEFA and like the Euros and UEFA and the Champions League and the European Cup because because and and obviously FIFA and the World Cup because those institute those competitions are the things that are so valuable and those trophies and you and as you know as a lot of players you know have since come out and said you grow up wanting to win the European Cup or the Champions League you don't grow up wanting to win the Super League. And, and, and that's the issue. That's the inherent issue of this idea is that you can't really manufacture a tournament's history. What does it mean? You know, it becomes like the Nations League and you have to build that history over time. And the only reason the World Cup matters is because it's been going on for 100 years almost. And, and that's what matters about it. Um, and, the, and because you've had all these diverse winners and that's the, the history of the competition is the entire competition. You know, pundits have really not been faithful to kind of talk about UEFA and FIFA more and more lately, and, and, and more has been coming out about them. I think that I think that this is not the end of the story with as far as UEFA and FIFA's role in all of this and how they've basically been the controlling governing body of football. And this was a power grab from the owners, and it was a very obvious financial power grab from the owners. But I think that something does have to happen as far as regulation in football and, and oversight of football. Pundits have not been... Uh, you know, fearful to be disparaging about the the league. And what surprised me the most was was Gary Neville's kind of reaction instantly on Sunday and throughout. I mean, quotes like destroying the fabric of football, utterly disgusting, calling the, calling the owners imposters and bottle merchants, saying it's a criminal act against fans. And they called it ultimately just recently the attempted murder of English football. What did you think of Neville's reaction and the kind of media reaction to the uh, to the Super League and the coverage of all of this? I thought it was impressive how like quickly it was so resoundingly rejected. I thought that was very cool. 
Um, and just to see it kind of became this universal thing of just dumping on the, you know, that was great to see. I think it, well, I did see some kind of backlash against that in the sense that A, Neville has, you know, been very, very slow to have a go at the Glazers in, in, and, and like almost completely ignored that. And I think that's interesting considering the amount, how vocal that is at United, how, how rejected they've been from so many corners. He has not been a part of that. Um, and, and the same goes for a lot of those pundits, you know, Rio Ferdinand famously kind of sticks up for um, Mike Ashley now and again. And it's this very, you know, so I think that there was a bit of hypocrisy there. Um, I also think that the fact that Neville was doing this from behind a paywall on Sky was had its own irony as well in that, you know, Sky in, in the UK being so much a part of the the modification of the revamping of English football, you know, the rebranding of the Premier League, all of that. Um, and it is funny, you see, I remember there were some quotes going around from Sir Alex Ferguson talking about, you know, talking in the same way of ne- the Neville was, but it was about the, the creation of the Premier League, um, which, you know, while not as drastic as the Super League and certainly not as non-competitive, it it, it still created, um, you know, a, a, it changed the pyramid irrevocably. Um, and so I thought there was an irony in, the, irony in that all those pundits were doing that on Sky, who, who, you know, which has indefinitely changed the game. Um, but I still thought that the totality of the voices was, was much greater than, you know, the individuals. It was just the fact that everyone came out. Um, you know, you had Gary Lineker saying he would not be a part of the present the presenting, you know, any of that kind of TV stuff. And they just it just made the footballing world made it very clear that they wanted no part of it, that it almost it couldn't go on because no one would want to be involved. And I think the players were, were slower than that, understandably. And then as soon as it, it was so resoundingly rejected, you saw, you know, Henderson coming out um, with the Premier League captains and, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Bellerin and James Milner. And, and you suddenly more and more came out and they rejected it as well. Um, and and it just became very clear that that no one would want to. It, it was only Florentino Perez who wanted this at the end of the day, who still and, and, does, by the way. And they still, they're still still in it. You mentioned yeah. it earlier. I mean, Real and Barca, and, and I think it's ultimately because they're financial models and the way these clubs are super clubs that have you know millions and millions of fans, but they are losing millions every year and the, and the pandemic has hurt them and, and the kind of the way they use the pandemic to try and form this super league it was just so because it, it was so obvious that they'd be making so much money off it it just felt kind of sick I mean uh, anyway yeah. I, we, we focused a lot on the the English clubs and and there's a good reason why they were they were half of what was going to be the European Super League but there are these other clubs you know that are sticking to it and it does beg the question is this going to go away? I mean, they're obviously not going to call it the Super League anymore. It'd be like having another fire festival. But is this model going to come back in some sort of way? Is, is there going to be a league where heavyweight matchups of Barca and Man U and Real and Chelsea every year going to be guaranteed? Is this going to happen in some form? I think it's interesting because for the last five years, I'd say it, it felt inevitable. It was this inevitability. And it was just kind of a matter of when. But given the fact that it's, it was such a disaster um, and, and that we're already talking about these sanctions, and I think that discussion is very interesting, 
I, I, I don't know. I certainly, it, it won't come in this format. And I can't think right now of another format that would kind of appease the billionaires, although I'm sure they'll be figuring that out as we speak. And they're kind of, you know, and also it's, it's worth pointing out that, you know, we bring the Firefest, um, I think quite rightly, those comparisons, because it was a PR, like absolute, you know, shit show. <laughs> it was, it was horrendous. Um, right down to the kind of the font the website, all of that. It was just like, <laughs> what is logo, this? Wasn't it? Yeah. It's such a bad logo. It, it almost felt like a parody. You were like, oh, there's some bit. Yeah, it was it was insane. Um, and I think but I think those questions of sanctions are going to be really interesting because because we're now in a position where you I think sanctions have to be have to be put in place. I think, you know, there has yeah, to be so a punishment. I, I love putting you in, in power here when when you come on the show. What what would you do in football? What, what 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 punishment do you think would be right in this in this circumstance? God, it's difficult. I think what you have to strike a balance between ensuring, as you say, you know, the, the question about do you, do you think it's going to happen again? I think you have to put in place a mechanism in which it can't happen again. And if it does, there are there are clear fine like fines, points, deductions, you know, relegation from you know all of that. You have to put you know you won't be able to play in the World Cup. You won't. That has to be clear for people to do that. Um, but I is also this think, done by an independent regulator. Is this done by the the UK government? Is this done by UEFA and FIFA? I, I would say like the governing bodies coming together and agreeing between you know, which seems almost impossible. But like you know, the FA, Serie right. coming together and trying. I, I mean, maybe it would have to be UEFA and FIFA, but kind of making it clear that if you if you violated these terms again there would be these repercussions and make that very obvious. So if it did happen again, you know what's happening. Um, I agree. I, I just worry that everyone that would be a part of that conversation has too much of a vested interest in their stake in football. Yeah. UEFA and FIFA control the the competitions. These owners control these multi-million friends and they all want to you know, retain as much power as they, they can. And they've proven that they don't even care if they devoid it of the institution of competition, which is promotion and relegation in the league. So I think that, uh, you know, I don't know that it'll work, but I feel like the only thing, the only potential solution is an independent regulator, an outside source now coming in and a new governing body over football. Do, do you think an independent regulator could fix this, uh, you know, potentially fix this solution i mean there's... I, I mean fixing it seems like this like insurmountable task almost but i think <laughs> yeah. just making it more like whether making it more clear it seems like the, the you know the most important thing right now and ensuring that there are ram clear ramifications for if it happens again i think you definitely have the balance of if you punish these individual teams too much you increase the incentive for them to separate banning them from the champions league which has been mooted would would probably be detrimental in the sense that it's like, okay, well, if we're not in the competition, let's create our own competition. I think certainly a, like maybe a 20 point deduction for all the six teams would definitely make it a more interesting Premier League season next oh, year. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think that would actually, that's probably a good idea regardless, maybe, you know, just at the start <laughs> of every season. Um, that's one way to fix the, the, you know, those issues. But yeah, and just see, because like the funny thing is, City probably st would still win, but you'd have that moment where like a West Ham or Everton <laughs> have the chance and bottle it, and it would just be it'd be that's that's what it's all about. Just um, be this slow claw fight of these teams at the bottom, just slowly clawing their way yeah. back up with their you know negative twenty, negative seventeen, negative fourteen. Here come Man City. I don't know about punishing the. I feel like it. it 
there's no good punishment. Everything that's been proposed is a punishment against the team. There's no way to punish the owners because the owners have been able to hide behind the clubs. I mean, we we both support a club that has uh, an owner that is... We, uh, I was proud of Chelsea that we pulled out as one of the first two teams to pull out. I was between Man City and it was kind of a race to see who'd do it first. But we were really right there and doing it first. But of course, we were also dead last in putting out a verbal statement because mm. he never speaks, Roman. And these and all these owners have been able to hide behind their clubs for a very long time while they kind of operated kind of Oz style. They're, they're, they're back there running, running it. Was, was there anything that you did like about the Super League? I think, as I said, the economic parity made it interesting. I, I, I did not like the, the big game nature of it, like, at all. And I think that the weird, again, another kind of weird subplot of it is that, like, especially if you look at the Premier League, I can think of maybe two games between the top six that have been interesting this year. You know, United, Tottenham, when they won 6-1. And the second, I mean... From a Chelsea perspective, like I enjoyed Chelsea beating Liverpool. I'm not sure anyone else did. You know, the, the, the games between the top sides have been terrible kind of all year and kind of for, for a few years, actually. Um, and I think the same, you know, we haven't, I feel like we haven't had a good El Clasico in about five years. Um, and, and I think Juventus being what they were, I think this year has been a change to that. And I think the Serie A and Ligue 1 title races are like the only interesting ones at the moment. And I thought it was, you know, as a side note, it was very interesting that PSG and Bayern weren't involved and kind of pointedly so. But yeah, I, I, I guess the, the notion of a, a parity between the teams could have been interesting. And, and that's, but, but I, again, I think that, the, that wasn't the goal. And, and so I'm not sure how true that would have, what actually that would have meant. You know, would Arsenal have been making the same money or would they not because there are lesser, you know, there is not a bigger team than Real Madrid. I don't know how that actually would have been in, enacted. And I also, I also don't know how coming 15th in the Super League would have done very much for their brand and their club. No, yeah, exactly. quite like how all the pundits felt on what was it Tuesday or Wednesday when it was all over it's like well what do you say now I mean there's you feel kind of devoid so where where do we go now where do you think football stands right now god it is it does still feel precarious I mean it was strange watching on on the night of the 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 Chelsea fan protests I don't think I've ever watched a more meaningless game than that Chelsea Brighton you know it Mm. suddenly felt and it was kind of the same thing with the Liverpool-Leeds game. And then the fact that Leeds got an equaliser, that meant it, it, it did mean something then. Um, and, and I think, you know, Juventus lost to Atalanta. Um, you know, Real Madrid drew with, with Real Betis. I think, you know, that, I think those results were all great to see, just as a reaffirming of, you know, those institutions as, as they stand. But it, it still feels, I definitely still have the feeling that we're not, A, we're not out of the woods and B, we weren't out of the woods before. Like we, we still had all these issues. All these issues were playing out in their separate five leagues on a smaller scale. Um, and so I think we do now have to take a look and see if we can get back a bit more of that economic parity and get back a bit more of the competition. Because just because we've stopped this one competition doesn't mean that the Bundesliga 
is a genuine competition at the moment. Like it's actually not just today. Nagelsmann was announced as the next Bayern coach. You know, the, the guy who's coached the second best team in Germany has now gone to the first. And so that there is not, there is not a pyramid there. There's not a, it, all the, the, the fact that all the best players and coaches are constantly going to Bayern, there's that feeding loop. It means you cannot see Bayern losing a league title in the next 10 years. And so I think that does have to change. And I, and I don't really know how we do it across the, as you say, I think an independent body coming in would be amazing, but I mean, how much work would they have to do? Would you have to have like eight different independent bodies to, you know, it, right. it, I, yeah. Um, and, and who, who's, who's able to grant that? That's the thing. Cause the, the Bayern won't want an independent body coming in and telling them they can't get these players and coaches or they have to give more money, you know? So it, it, as you say, it's, it's about getting the people who've who've betrayed us to to now agree with us on that level. Yeah. How bummed do you think Jose Mourinho was that he got sacked on Monday and nobody talked about it? <laughs> that wasn't the other thing. It was like, no, no, we didn't need this now. You know, <laughs> it was like suddenly, and and it was amazing. I, I think there were a few takes like initially being like, oh, this is Mourinho's stand against the Super League. <laughs> you know, captain going down with his ship. Um, yeah. Um, Daniel Levy just saw the opportunity. He was like, <laughs> Monday, he was like, what's been going on on Twitter since I uh, posted about that Super League? Oh, they don't really like it. Jose, can you come into my office for a minute? <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to play a major distraction. And that's what also felt weird is suddenly Tottenham's being coached by a 29-year-old bloke. And it was just like, what's going What's going oh my on? God. Yeah. And then like, I know we're probably not talking about the football at a granular level in this podcast, but you really saw that in the League Cup final as well, didn't you? It, yeah. it was almost like suddenly watching a team like being coached by one of your mates as opposed to like, <laughs> it was like, and, and to be, that's no disrespect to Ryan Mason. It, you know, he's just been put in a position. No, he got a, his first match, he got a win, didn't he? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's great that, you know, considering how his career ended, that he has been given this chance. I just think he, he's clearly not a manager yet. And it was, it felt very pointed to me that it was like, well, you know, A, great distraction to get him out now, but B, like, if he wins the League Cup, we might have to keep him another year. <laughs> and that was, that, it was like, we can't let, we can't do that. We can't do that to our fans. Well, the, um, the, the wait for silverware continues in Tottenham. Um, and, and Jose, I think, is in a bunker somewhere plotting the, uh, a way to save football. I, I yeah, do you reckon? Him and Arsene it. Wenger just chucking back <laughs> the Rioja, just, you know, solving football, yeah. Well, Which, see, to be fair, it's not the worst idea. No, <laughs> we're thinking about it now. <laughs> Maybe that is the independent body. It's just Wenger and The independent and body, Jose and Arsene show up, and they just sort it all out. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, well, I'm all for his offside laws, to you know, to clarify that. I think that oh, would be yeah. interesting as well. Yeah. I think um, I think there's a I think that's the other problem is the the problem with the product currently is is actually on the pitch not necessarily you know yeah. the comp, the style of the competitions VAR needs to be checked and regulated the, the the product of the pitch is is should be the eternal focus and like you said the matches between the top six haven't really been all that good I think VAR really needs to be looked at and I, we'll see some weird incarnation of it in the World Cup and we'll all complain about it and so. Uh, you know the the football world keeps revolving, and we keep complaining, and we'll we'll keep enjoying it, and keep you know loving it, and hopefully 
one thing that I was really impressed with was the true passion of the fans and them saying, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to make the decisions on this one like this, that y- you can't just rip this away from us. And I, and I thought that the power of the fans was on true, on true display. Yeah. And I hope, I hope that's a lesson to the fans that, that, you know, they genuinely do have power because it yes. took 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, that's all it took. And I hope that, you know, the fans realize how much power they have and you know if it, that means boycotting games you know at newcastle or wherever they think they have these issues you know that it, that it's so quickly you know as soon as you stop as soon as the money's being affected the owners listen and i think that was the biggest lesson yeah. and that's what blew me away so much about it is that this was months in the planning i think there was like a 140 some page contract that all of these teams have stipulated and worked on. It's been years in the making. And then an initial introduction of it and a just resounding no. It was kind yeah. of staggering. Do you have any final thoughts, both? Well, we hardly knew ye, the Super League. <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah, a fascinating thing. I really appreciate you coming on and chatting about this, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Again, I want to thank Wilfred Lawrence for coming on the show. You can listen to the South Dakota Loves Benucci podcast on Spotify. Uh, Well, if you didn't have a sense of the magnitude of the story behind the European Super League, I hope that this was informative for you, but this is by no means the end of the story. But hopefully next week we can just discuss the results of football and not a discussion on the structural integrity of the sport and the game. What a week. For the All-American Brit Podcast on Believe Podcasting Network, I am your host, Johnny McEwen, and until next time, take care. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.